For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Happy Wednesday, football fans. I'm Isaac Signs, and I thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. In today's episode, Drell Worthy and I preview Championship Sunday and discuss trending topics including the Browns' decision to hire Kevin Stefanski and the Ravens' upset loss. This is the Pro Football Chase Podcast, a podcast that has featured interviews with Rams wide receiver Robert Woods. 32,000 yards, uh, and you know, last year, unfortunately, I got hurt mid midway in the season, but other than that, just just working and grinding to, to get to this point, and uh, probably broke it with a lot of games left. Packers wide receiver Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, just the fact that we got a, you know, uh, all pro on the other side of the ball, um, um, so when you got a guy like that, you know, that's who's going to get the main focus. Um, obviously, you know, people start to know my name a little bit after I made a few plays here and there. Broncos offensive guard Ronald Leary. It would either have to be a counter or uh, a pin and pull play when we get on the edge and run. Uh, I think it's always impressive when big guys can get out that stance and move and hit somebody. So In rising stars, Dalton Risner, Charles Amenahu, and Jawan Williams. This is a podcast that offers player perspectives from some well-decorated veterans, including T.J. Hushman Zada. And people will say, oh, well, is that person got a franchise quarterback? Uh, look, look at his record, doesn't it tells you he is. Oh, he has a great defense. You tell me a quarterback in the entire NFL that's not Tom Brady that does more with that. Game previews, recaps, and analysis. Turn the volume up. The chase is on, and the chase is live. Welcome into another episode. It's the Pro Football Chase Podcast. Isaac signs with you. On the other line is NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy, my co-host. Getting ready to talk about Championship Sunday as... We have both matchups set, Titans, Chiefs, Packers, 49ers. Before we get into that, 
Let's go ahead and check on Jarrell. How you doing today, man? Man, I am doing phenomenal this week, man. Starting out my week uh, with a lot of positive energy. Uh, family's healthy, kids healthy. So, man, I'm just excited to get to it. Big news last night, Jarrell. I could not believe it, man. Luke Keekly, 28-year-old linebacker from the Panthers, seven AP All-Pro selections, five on the first team, Defensive Player of the Year in 2013, Defensive Rookie of the Year award in 2012. He retired. He announced that at this point in his career, he knew he needed to hang it up, although he wanted to continue playing. So we're already seeing this trend, Jarrell, it started with Andrew Luck, who's 29 years old, who he announced his retirement. We're seeing these young players who are still in their prime and arguably one of the best at their own position. Call it a career. So what are your thoughts on these players starting to call it quits early? Well, I think, number one, it just sets to the trend that, you know, players in, in these type of roles are starting to understand that there's more options out there for them to have impact and for them to essentially feel whole. I think... When you when you die when you dissect a football player, man, you have to understand they've been on set schedules. If you're in the professional level, you've been a part of, you know, having set schedules, having uh, uh, being a part of a brotherhood, um, essentially having a calling for a substantial amount of time. And so, um, you know, when you have to live up to a certain standard, like Luke Keekley, man, you have to understand where he's coming from. This guy uh, essentially uh, set the standard at Boston College. Um, he had high expectations coming out especially uh, with his athletic ability, and he lived up to those, man. And he was able to um, come in and take control of a defense and be able to lead them um, to a Super Bowl uh, appearance. And so I think at the end of the day, when, when players of that magnitude uh, cannot necessarily go out there and be as physical as they want to be, and the injuries creep up on you, man, it, it's tough um, getting into that mindset uh, week in and week out to be able to um, essentially run through a brick wall being that position that he plays. And so it's a tough pill to swallow, but, I mean, he's had a hell of a career, man. To be that young and have so many accolades and, uh, you know, defensive player of the year, five-time All-Pro, first team. I mean, five, I mean, five-time All-Pro being the first team and, and, 17, and seven times total. Um, you, you can't say anything – you can't say enough about – his leadership, his dedication to the game, and um, and what he's meant to football. He finishes his career with 1,092 tackles, the most in the NFL since he entered the league as the ninth overall pick of the 2012 NFL Draft. His 18 interceptions are most by a linebacker since 2012 and third most in franchise history. And lastly... His 75 tackles for loss are tied for the fifth among linebackers over that span. So a great career. Congrats on Luke Keekley. I know it was stunning news at first glance, but he's making the best decision for him and his family. But another news before we get to the divisional round, Jarrell, Antonio Gates announced his retirement from the NFL earlier on Tuesday at 39 years old. So he too had a magnificent career for the Chargers. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at, you know, coming from Kent State, um, you know, have a, he had an opportunity to be at Michigan State for a while. Um, and it's, you know, you know, going to the going to the smaller schools, man, and then, you know, having the impact and the role that he did, um, you know, have, he wanted to be at Michigan State because he wanted to be a two way player. That's why I wonder. I, that's why I remembered him because they wouldn't they wouldn't allow him to really play basketball and football at the same time. And so, you know, he decided to take his services elsewhere. 
um, where he can, you know, potentially pursue his passion of basketball as well. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, you can't say enough about his career. He's, you know, third in touchdowns, uh, top 10 in essentially every category for the tight end position. Uh, he, I mean, he's, he's an, uh, a pillar in his community as well as uh, really set the stage for, uh, you know, how the Chargers, you know, scored on offense. And so at the end of the day, man, you have to tip your hat to guys that are willing to, you know, come out of retirement and, you know, go out there and play with their buddies like how he did with Phillip Rivers. But I just think he understands that the vision of the Chargers are heading in another direction. And um, it, it's just time to ride out when you uh, when you have a high note. It's good to see him put it in. I think he's actually going to join the Chargers organization to help out with the community engagement aspect. So that's cool that he's going to continue working with the Spanos family there in L.A. now. Let's put a bow on the divisional rounds. I just want to hear what's your biggest takeaway from last weekend's action is. Is it a player's performance, a team, a coach? What is one point that you have taken account as we move forward to Championship Sunday? I think for the most part, uh, my takeaway uh, is that we have not given the Tennessee Titans enough credit. Uh, I think we've set, I think, you know, Mike Vrabel has been in the conversation all year with the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill and, uh, at his position. And, you know, obviously Derrick Henry doing what he's, what he's doing, but this defense is spectacular. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson was going out there and he, he literally tried to do, so much to be able to excite his team because that's what they've been feeding off of all year. They've been feeding off the exciting plays from the quarterback positions, the, the, uh, you know, the yards after uh, yards after, you know, contact the, the, you know, the, the great moves in the open field. And, you know, essentially they were, they were definitely, you know, um, they were in need of that when they were going against the Tennessee Titans. But I, but it just it just is really shocking to me to see their consistency over the last three to four weeks. Um, you know, we all wait. We, we talked about New England and, you know, their lack of offense. But at the end of the day, you know, Tom Brady still had an opportunity, you know, towards the end of the game to Willie to, to really make his impact. And the defense stepped up. They stepped up late and they, you know, they changed gears and came back to an explosive runner and Lamar Jackson and. You know, they held them to a, a low a low passer rating and a low uh, completion percentage. When you have to throw the ball 60 times, it's it's very tough for your team to win. And so, I mean, you tip your hat to his statistics because, you know, even though things weren't essentially going his way, Lamar Jackson had a, a statistically um, phenomenal game. But overall, man, the Tennessee Titans were just uh, doing – they were overpowering those guys. And, 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 Mark Indri- and Mark Ingram not necessarily being himself – really, really played a role in, in, in their success as well. Yeah, I would agree. The Titans, they have been really a surprise team. They got hot late in the year and really had been playing playoff football since week 17 when they had to go into Houston and get a win. Now they're in the AFC Championship game. But, Jarrell, my biggest takeaway from the wild card round is that 49ers QB Jimmy Garoppolo is built for the big stage despite all the ongoing criticism of his caliber as a top-flight quarterback, you know, at the beginning of the season, many people, myself included, questioned if Garoppolo was good enough to lead a talented 49ers team into the postseason. We knew Kyle Shanahan, 
head coach. We know the type of offensive wizard he is when it comes to play calling. Garoppolo, he looked terrible in the preseason as he worked his way back from an ACL tear. And then he had a little bit of a slow start to the 2019 campaign. He made his first career NFL playoff start on Saturday against a Vikings team that boasted a unit that had just limited the high-powered Saints offense to 324 total yards and forced two turnovers, and he came out blazing. I mean, first drive, five of six passes, 57 yards, including a three-yard touchdown strike to Kendrick Bourne, which got the Niners up on the board first. And I know a lot of people will talk about Garoppolo being carried by the defense, but when you look at his total numbers from Saturday's game against the Vikings, I mean, it was 11 to 19, 131 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So it was efficient. Of course, the one interception, you know, is a negative part of it. But you look at what he's done in the regular season as well, Jarrell, against playoff teams. Garoppolo has completed 67% of his passes for 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 114.52 rating. So this guy has proven time and time again that he can show up when the lights are the brightest and come through for a Niners team. And so I got to say I was wrong on him. I thought he was going to flutter in San Francisco, but he sure is showing that he can take this team to the promised land. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo's play this past weekend against the Vikings defense that had an outstanding showing against the New Orleans Saints. Um, I definitely thought that the Saints were going to come in and, and really continue to ride that high in which they were on. I thought that the matchups on the outside were in their favor. I know, um, I mean, it just, it, it was, you know, Xavier, Xavier Rhodes had a, a difficult time against the Saints. So I thought his performance, I thought he was going to be able to come back and bounce back. Uh, against the the 49ers but essentially man it was a game of momentum um you know 49ers were dominating on defense and I mean, it, at the end of the day like it made it it made it, it very very tough for a uh Vikings a Vikings defense to continue to keep coming back out you know series after series trying to get a stop when your offense is essentially getting dominated on the other end and so you know J- Jimmy Garoppolo has continued his play man he has to continue to ride this wave these these guys are young they're athletic, they're talented, they're coached well, and you have to continue to ride this wave. And hopefully uh, it, it, it'll be, uh, it'll prove itself this weekend um, with the Packers, man, because they're definitely, they're definitely not pushovers. They've got, they've got great pass rushers on the outside, and they've got young, talented defensive backs that definitely don't fear anybody. So it's going to be an exciting game. For sure. Let's go ahead and move on to our Fact Fiction segment. So here's the first statement, Jarrell, and we will discuss – The Browns made the right decision to hire Kevin Stefanski as their next head coach. Now, of course, Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator, was considered a finalist as well as Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian DeBowell. But they go with Stefanski, which was a little bit of a surprise considering how inefficient the Vikings were against San Francisco. Of course, you cannot just take one game and make that such a huge deal. But a lot of people were taken aback by Stefanski. Of course, he was one of the finalists last year before the Browns hired Freddie Kitchens. We all know how that went, 6-10, and and he was fired. So did the Browns make the right decision, Jarrell? Is it fact or fiction? Um, I personally think they – I think it's fiction that uh, that they made the right decision. Um, I think they made a decision that was familiar to them, that they had 
um, realistically, um, no other choices. I think when you look at the other candidates that was out there, Josh McDaniels has had success in New England, contrary to, you know, a lot of people would, a lot of people might, you know, think about him and, and, you know, having Tom Brady be his quarterback, but uh, nonetheless, he's had a, a ton of success. He's won division titles. He's had opportunities to appear in conference championships. Eric Bieniemy, on the other hand, as well, uh, with with, uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs, has had an opportunity to be in conference championships, leading number one offenses. And I just thought, if I'm looking at it from a, a schematic standpoint, I think the Browns are a little bit more similar to the Kansas City Chiefs as opposed to how, uh, as far as how their roster is built as opposed to the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that Eric Bieniemy would have been had an opportunity to come in and really uh, give this offense an up, a lift uh, a lift in spirit as far as the creativity and, and the way that he dials up plays. And um, and it just gives them a voice, man. It gives them a voice that, from a guy that's been there before, that's had success. I understand anybody coming off the Mike Zimmer tree is going to have an opportunity to really coach good football. I just think offensively, um, as you can see with, my, with, the, with the guys in Minnesota, they've been willing – to part ways with their coordinators as, a, as the season has unfolded this year. And so I just think if, I think if, if with the other candidates that were, that were out there and had an opportunity to interview for this job, I think my, uh, I think coach McCartney was their number one option. And once they seen him go to Dallas and he, and the big name gets off the board, I think you have to go to a guy that's going to have the opportunity to create the most change and, and when I think about the coaches that are out there, Egg Enemy would have been my my top guy just because of the creativity he brings to the game offensively. Yeah, I'm going to say fiction. I think the Browns, again, they continue to be pummeled in mediocrity. Jarrell, I mean, there was a really good article out there put out by the Canton rep that talked about the Haslams and their process when it comes to hiring the next head coach, which in this case was Stefanski, and talking about how their head in the front office, Debo Desta, who's a graduate of Harvard, likes Stefanski, who was a graduate of Penn, so they're both Ivy League graduates who believe in analytics, and Debo Desta was a big part in the interview process this time around, especially with John Dorsey out the door, and so Debo Desta really is the one who wanted Stefanski last year, so this was all set up to me, Jarrell. I feel like Josh McDaniels, I know that he wasn't the most successful during his time as head coach with the Broncos, but that was a long time ago. And, you know, you read the article from the Canton Rep, and it reads that McDaniels straight up told the Haslams, hey, I want to make sweeping organizational changes. I want to bring in a new GM. I want to completely overhaul this front office. I want to bring new vision and I want to get this Browns team to where he could get it. And that did not sit well with the Haslams. They did not want to make those sweeping changes. They felt like there's some things in their front office that they felt can still be successful. And so that's where the divide was. And so that point right there, Jarrell, still tells me that this Browns organization and Jimmy Haslam is still stubborn and not willing to change his ways in order to finally right the ship in Cleveland where they have just been awful as a franchise so I felt like McDaniels would have been a good candidate and I also felt like 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Saleh would have had a great opportunity to get in there defensive minded head coach 
fiery passion disciplinarian that could have brought a whole new element. I know Salah was talking about potentially bringing Mike LaFleur, who's the passing game coordinator for the 49ers. He was a potential offensive coordinator candidate should Salah have gotten the job with the Browns. But nonetheless, I felt like those two candidates would have brought Cleveland another dynamic. But going with Stefanski is just going to give them much of the same. Yeah, I would agree with you, Isaac. I think what it is is when you have something that you own, you're passionate about, you're prideful about, you don't necessarily think that uh, people can tell you how to run your own business. And, you know, sometimes, you know, data and analytics can kind of get in the way of common sense. And so when I look at the other candidate, the coaching candidates, it's just common sense that you have to you have to hire a guy that's had success and that has success um, year in and year out. And uh, I, I just always like to have opportunity to uh, be around guys that I admire. And so when I look at Andy Reid and his coaching tree, I admire uh, Bill Belichick, his coaching tree, I admire um, Mike Zimmer's has some success being, you know, leading the Vikings defensively, but offensively up until this point uh, this year and, and, um, and their playoff year with Case Keenum, man, they haven't really necessarily had a lot of success. And so I just think um, at the end of the day, you have to go with the, uh, the team that really has proven the most. And so, um, Josh McDaniels, Eric B. Enemy, even Salah with the with the way that these these guys have been able um, to fly around and your lack of consistency defensively. I think at the end of the day, man, you have to make a, a better choice than what they uh, than what they put out there in Stefanski. To give Stefanski credit, I mean, the Vikings, they finished the regular season 16th in total offense, 23rd in passing, 6th in rushing. And that's why he got a lot of criticism as a play caller, which Yes, it was just his first year as a full-time play caller. He took over in an interim role in 2018. You look at ESPN Stats and Info with Stefanski calling the plays. Kirk Cousins completed 62% of his passes outside the pocket, which ranked fifth in the NFL. And in that same category, Baker Mayfield for the Browns connected in only 36% of his throws outside the pocket, which ranked 30th. So yes, there are some areas where Stefanski could come in and provide some good assistance to help Mayfield develop in this talented Browns offense get going. So I'm not knocking Stefanski at all. You know, who knows? He could prove us all wrong. But I think just from the first glance at it, I think we both agree that they should have gone another direction. We'll go ahead and move on to the final fact fiction topic because I'm interested to hear. I know you talked a little bit about him earlier Lamar Jackson but the Ravens another early playoff exit so here is the statement the Ravens will continue to struggle in the playoffs until Lamar Jackson improves as a passer we know the Ravens have built their offense Greg Roman everything around Lamar Jackson run first now does Jackson need to improve in that passing area for the Ravens to finally get over the hump what say you what I would have to say is uh, I would have to I would have to say that it's fiction just because when I when I watched the game unfold and I watched Lamar Jackson and the way he was uh, poised in the pocket, he delivered, you know, sharp balls. There were some times where he was behind a little bit of there were some times where he threw behind his receivers. But you got to understand, man, we're talking about, you know, there's a there was a touchdown pass that hit a tight end Hayden Hurst right in the chest. Um, you have uh, Mark Ingram on a swing route into the open field where he had space to make a move and get upfield. He drops the pass. 
there's multiple drop passes amongst this offense. And so I think at the end of the day, they were in crucial situations where they could have had an opportunity to extend drives. Now, I personally don't agree for the fourth and one conversions in which they tried to send him up in there for the for the quarterback sneaks. I think at the end of the day, you have Mark Ingram back there for a reason. This guy's been the bulldozer all year. You have you give him an opportunity to get that one yard, and you don't necessarily put it into the hands of a guy that's 215 pounds or 205 pounds, whatever, uh, whichever uh, Lamar Jackson weighs. And I just think um, that situation could have been different. I I would I also uh, I liked you know you know the way that they battled back on offense because at the end of the day, essentially they were making they were making strides to make a comeback. I I personally think that the Baltimore Ravens defense uh, failed them. They failed uh, with their big guys up front in the interior. We have Brandon Williams, 350 pounds. Uh, Paco, who is a Michigan State alum, one of my mentors, a guy I really uh, look up to. And uh, you have Pierce out there as well, man. These guys are 300, 365 pounds. And in that type of defense, your job is to be able to absorb two to three blockers at a time to give your linebackers a chance to make plays. And, for Derrick Henry to go for almost 200 yards on the ground, it's just, it's just uh, in a playoff game, it's, it's, it's just uh, disgraceful. And so I think personally, when I look at it, um, Lamar Jackson wasn't the issue, man. Lamar Jackson played his tail off. His receivers didn't come up for him in crucial situations, especially Hayden Hurst, man. You, you, I mean, the seam route, you have inside leverage. He puts the ball literally on his numbers, literally on the NFL logo on his chest. And he just I mean, he just wasn't aware. He doesn't understand the situation. And and that comes with maturity. He's a young player. Um, and at the end of the day, man, if you if you're going to want to be in those big moments, um, the stars have to come up with big plays. And I just think at the end of the day, uh, the Baltimore defense let those guys down and the receivers on on Baltimore let uh, Lamar Jackson down. I think you make valid points on all platforms there. I know the Ravens, the defense, they did not come to play. The Titans absolutely gashed them on the ground with Derrick Henry. I mean, that guy has been unstoppable. I mean, I know Lamar Jackson, he has really proven all his doubters wrong this season. He's going to be the MVP. The guy is sensational, playmaker with the ball in his hands. And so there's nothing to doubt him as a quarterback. I mean, I respect the guy. I think his brightest days are still ahead, and I cannot wait to watch him develop some more. But, Jarrell, I think the Ravens, obviously, I mean, 14-2, and two, their structure as a run-first team, it worked. I mean, those guys pummel teams on the ground. They're four tight end sets, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards. And so I see how that was successful. But the problem is, is being such a run-dominant team, Jarrell, it comes back to bite them in the postseason. It's already happened two straight years. Last year is the same story. The Ravens lost to the Chargers in the wild card round 23-17 for the same reason, which was the opposing team made Lamar Jackson and the Ravens come from behind early. They got off to an early lead. You look at the Chargers. They led 12-0 at half. Lamar Jackson struggled passing. You can kind of say the same thing for the Dallas Cowboys. They're built to run the football. And what do we see this season? As soon as they got down a possession or two, they fall out of their game plan. Dak Prescott, obviously, when he has to throw the ball 40 to 50 times, it's not the winning formula. So I think the same goes for the Ravens drill because Lamar Jackson, I agree 100%. 
His receivers did not help him early on in the game. But nonetheless, I mean, he looked rattled early in the first half. He was puzzled. He was flustered. He ended the game 31 of 59. Yes, he threw for 365 yards. But you have to remember, Jarrell, a lot of those yards came in the fourth quarter in garbage time when the Titans were playing prevent defense, trying to limit the big play. Two interceptions. That first interception, it changed the entire landscape of the game. The Ravens were driving the ball. They were gashing the Titans in the run game. And the next thing you know, the Titans striked and got up early 14-0. And so I understand, you know, Lamar Jackson, he is still very young. He has a lot to grow in but I almost feel like Baltimore it would benefit them if maybe they can incorporate more of a pass presence in that offense because until Lamar Jackson can be a efficient passer where he can bring his team back with his arm I find it hard to believe that this Ravens squad can make a run all the way to the Super Bowl Jarrell because look at Mahomes you know that guy can go out there and win games on his own he did it against the Texans now the Titans they got Derrick Henry right and so they're using that formula but their defense is also helping as well so I mean I can see both angles but that's just my point of it he just looked very inaccurate earlier in the game and that ultimately cost the Ravens the game. Yeah, but see, this is see, this is the hidden gem with this is that um, I think against the Chargers, uh, essentially the personnel wasn't uh, really in place in order for him to be as successful as he is uh, as he has been this year. Uh, the addition of Mark Ingram has been what's been a very key success for them. Him going making it to the Pro Bowl. They have, they have what, a, I think a record 12 Pro Bowlers or 13 Pro Bowlers this year. Um, these are the guys that we're expecting to show up in crunch time situations. These are the guys, the offensive line, they they had they were getting bullied. And I think um, at the end of the day, you know, when you're a quarterback, you know, anytime you start to take hits and re- even re- as spectacular as Lamar Jackson is, you're going to essentially get rattled. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers starts to get that way where he wants to push the ball down the field. He wants to get the ball out a lot faster. Uh, you'll see you'll see a multitude of quarterbacks starting to do uh, that as as opposed to, uh, you know, trying to make plays as such like a, a Lamar Jackson. And I think what it is, is when you look at the overall scheme of how the, the game went, man, uh, both front lines were getting dominated. Mike Vrabel had their offensive line ready to compete. He had their defensive line essentially ready to compete as well as uh, their, I mean, their, their entire front seven dominated this uh, dominated the Baltimore Ravens. And so I think, you know, you make some points when it comes to having, you know, drawing some things up schematically that would ultimately give him an opportunity to be more successful. I think personally having him more under center running the stretch zone type of schemes will give him an opportunity to get out on the edge and being being more athletic as opposed to uh, being in the shotgun. Because at the end of the day, teams are are are, are essentially planning all year uh, to to fix this, regardless of if they're playing the Baltimore Ravens that week or or at some point in time that year. They 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 literally sit down and and this offense has. Uh, this offense is Greg, that Greg Roman has created has essentially caused coaches to spin 
20 to 30 minutes or or an hour of of day of extra work it's that they initially wouldn't do with um they initially wouldn't do with you know with any other offense and so I think at the end of the day man it's changing the landscape of how we view things but you know they could they could add in you know a little bit more under center zone stretch uh type of schemes that will give you know, him an opportunity to drop back off a play action pass from it, roll out on a boot or, and, you know, essentially do, do what he do, do, do what he does well. And which is, you know, having the ball in his hands and getting the ball down the field and being athletic and explosive. And so, um, you know, I agree with you when it comes to, they have to, you know, create some more wrinkles in the, within this offense. Um, but at the end of the day, man, the stars on the team, let them down. Um, you know, Earl Thomas getting spent around like a, like a, a like a I mean I mean that was absolutely outrageous I mean he's a future Hall of Famer and Derrick Henry I mean spun him around like a little doll and it just I mean it, at the end of the day these guys didn't show up um Lamar Jackson I just think at the end of the day it's like a Michael Jordan situation with him I didn't lose I just ran out of time and he was he was gonna find a way to figure it out and I think at the end of the day if he could have had a, a better supporting cast it would have it would have made for a better opportunity for them to to come up late you know, quarterbacks, as as you know, and we all know as NFL fans, I mean, they're the ones who get the blame when things don't go well, and they get the credit when they win. And and so I do think Absolutely. that Lamar Jackson, he should be held accountable. I mean, I understand that he didn't get the help, but at the end of the day, when there's multiple possessions, when he had the chance, the Ravens went three and out. He made some wild throws, yeah. and so that out route, he would he would have definitely he would definitely like to have that out route. Uh, he shortchanged it. Um, I just, I mean, I just think overall, man, I mean, you know, with the game, how, with how football changes so quickly and how guys, you know, you know, get on highs and lows so fast, that seam route to Hayden Hurst, had he get that, I mean, that changes the complexity of everything. And so I, I just think at the end of the day, these guys really, they could step it up, man. Lamar Jackson, um, could be, can, can be a, a better efficient passer, but as far as I mean, going out there landing on on the line, man, I, I I don't I can't I mean all I could do is tip my hat because I mean you know as a coordinator when you're coming back from from multiple plays where where guys are dropping the ball you know in the middle of the zone um, like I said before uh, my guy Mark Ingram Mark Ingram had a swing route in which he dropped in to which he I know for a fact uh, a player like that turns in turns it into extra yards every time um, I mean these are key situations that keeps drives moving and. Um, and, you know, Tennessee, with the way that their philosophy was, they didn't they didn't care whether they were up or down. They were going to run the ball regardless. And so it just it wears down on a team man, and, and their defensive line let them down. They really have a lot of weapons there for Lamar Jackson. Maybe they add another piece or two to the wide receiving unit. Now they got Hollywood Brown. He was dinged up this year. But I would like to see Lamar Jackson become more efficient of a passer. I think it will continue to be the Ravens' Achilles heel if he is unable to develop in that realm. So we will see how that unfolds. Nonetheless, the Ravens, they are at home after a fantastic season. They cannot beat the Tennessee Titans. Now, Jarrell, let's go ahead and get into Championship Sunday. We're going to preview game number one, the number six-seeded Titans at the number two 
Kansas City Chiefs. This is Sunday, January 19th, 3.05 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS. Now, if you remember both of these teams, they met earlier this year where the Titans pulled off a crazy win, 35-32, after blocking a field goal in the closing seconds. The Titans are 7-3 against the Chiefs in the Titans era since they moved to Nashville. So they have had a lot of success against the Chiefs. This time they're back at Arrowhead. When you look at this matchup, what are some keys to the game? Um, when I look at this matchup, I think uh, for me personally, um, it's just going to you know come down to who can control the line, the line of scrimmage. I think um, you know both of these teams, their defenses have been playing well up until this point. And you know, to to consistently uh, to consistently, you know, moving forward, their their offense and defensive lines are going to have to control the game. So I, I personally think that you know it's going to be a game of inches. Um, it's going to come down to, uh, like I said, who can control time of possession because we obviously know um, it's going to be you know um, some explosive gains. Um, you know the way that Andy Reid and these guys you know cook up their offense week in and week out that explosive that explosive game against the Texans was something like I've never seen before um but I know that they, I know like I said before man the Tennessee Titans are going to come in with the same philosophy we are going to give Derrick Henry the ball he's going to touch the ball at least 30 times in this game regardless of how of how you see fit whether if we have to throw a screen um whether he's even passing the ball as we seen last week he's going to have the ball in his hands and so we're going to give Ryan Tannehill, you know, easy decision making and A.J. Brown's going to have to come up big. And so, like I said, man, like when you have a team like this who knows their identity, knows what they want to do. I know the Kansas City Chiefs know that they're explosive. They know that they can score a lot of points. But, you know, when they get knocked in the mouth, man, they've been shown to shut it down. I mean, last week was a, was a high exception, but I don't necessarily know if they can do that two weeks in a row. Yeah, the Titans, they definitely are a powerful team and the Chiefs. That was a crazy comeback. Their offense just got going. Fireworks on display. The fans were restless. But when I look at this matchup, Jarrell, I do want to see how Kansas City is going to handle that offensive line for Tennessee. I mean, you got guys like Taylor Lewin, Jack Conklin. Those tackles are very dominant when it comes to the run game. And Kansas City, here's another big key, Jarrell, is if Chris Jones is going to be available. He missed the divisional round game with a calf injury. He tested it out pregame. But Derrick Henry, the man, has been running with vengeance. He owns more yards after contact. Then Ryan Tannehill has passing yards this postseason. That's according to ESPN <laughs> Stats and Info. So that's just crazy. I think that Tannehill, he may need to be a little bit more productive than 160 yards and a 51.7 completion percentage against New England and Baltimore if the Titans want to win this one at Arrowhead because... You know, you can only contain Patrick Mahomes for so long, and I do like Tennessee's defense. They have proven to shut down some high-powered offenses, but I just think Kansas City and the weapons they have, I mean, we see Travis Kelsey, he proved his worth and his dominance against the Texans. Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman, Kansas City may have a little bit too much in terms of their skill position for Tennessee to handle them. Yeah, I I mean, when you're looking at it on paper, and especially when you're going off the performance that they had last week, 
it's definitely you know in their favor to to say that the the uh the the Kansas City Chiefs have everything moving moving for them and so when i look at uh when i look at you know Harmon and you know his explosive run last week um you know being able to give these guys the juice and energy they need and then them them scoring two plays later um was just exactly what the team needed man i mean Andy Reid has built this team to essentially go to anybody that anybody can be the star and anybody can make the play at any big moment and we saw some big catches by Sammy Watkins later on down the uh down the field as well as my guy Johnny Bravo Travis Kelsey um being the guy that's been ex- that's having opportunities to extend drives man i mean the the type of <laughs> the skill set that he brings the physicality and the way he runs his routes and his ability to be able to stretch the field. I mean, he's essentially another receiver on the field. And so it's just it's just ex- extremely um, positive moving forward for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that Chris Jones is going to find some way to play in this conference championship game. I think when you're when you're when you're a guy with your back against the wall and you have a big game uh, such as this and they and they're having an opportunity to host at home. You're going to do everything in your power to be out there, whether it's um, whether it's 10, 15, 20 plays or 30 plays. And so I think at the end of the day, um, you got there. You're going to see Chris Jones out there on the field. Um, if you had an opportunity to test it pregame uh, last week and didn't think it was feasible to go. then I think at, at the end of the day with this week and the training staff that they have at their disposal, he'll be out there on the field. And now going back to the last regular season matchup, I know it's a different time and it's a different Tennessee team and a different Chiefs team, but Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill combined for 18 receptions and 232 yards against that same Titans secondary, same personnel. So you do know that the Chiefs like that matchup. And even if Henry does achieve that same success, I think we can expect to see Kansas City crowd the box like other teams try to stop him while making Tannehill beat them through the air. And so when it comes to Tannehill and A.J. Brown and what they've been able to do in the past game, I look for Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, to come through. He has been sensational. He's underrated. He was a Pro Bowl snub, by the way. He has been very impactful for that Kansas City defense and Steve Spagnuolo's unit. I look for him to come through with a big-time turnover, an interception off Tannehill. I'm going to give the edge to the Chiefs in a slugfest. Patrick Mahomes, he is resilient. I look for him to get the job done. This is the second straight year they're hosting the AFC title game. I don't think they're going to lose this one. So give me the Chiefs 30-24 to over the Titans. Who are you taking to win, Jarrell? Man, so this is a tough matchup just because this is uh, two juggernauts in their respective rights. Um, you know, you have Patrick Mahomes being able to push the ball down the field, plethora of weapons. Um, but then you have Derrick Henry and these these bullies and these in this dark horse in Tennessee Titans that uh, for, for some reason or some way, shape or form, they just continue to keep proving us wrong. Um, I don't want to I'm not going to go with the upset this week, man. I'm going to go with Big Red and have an opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl. Hopefully he has an opportunity um, this year to really compete at a high level and come out on top. I know that, um, you know, he's been battling, you know, getting getting to the big dance for quite some time as a head coach. And so I think that, you know, this will be the opportunity. This is the team in which they'll have uh, they just they're just more talented than offensively. And, you know, when we talked about the Honey Badger and, and you know, Tyron Matthew being able to, to cover A.J. Brown, um, I mean, you just got to tip your hat. You know, obviously he came he, – he was playing corner and nickel in college. But 
for him to be, you know, a safety in the league and, and still and still being able to go back and, and to his old roots, man, and, and compete at a high level, it just talks about uh, his talent. And so I think I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs as well um, and a 33 to 24 win. I think they're going to I think they're going to be able to uh, do the right things and they're going to get out to a hot start um, as opposed to starting slow like they did last week. Second matchup, it's the number two Packers going on the road to take on the number one seeded San Francisco 49ers. This is the late kickoff, 6.40 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. Much like the Chiefs and Titans, this will be a rematch of the regular season back in week 12. The Packers absolutely got throttled 37-8 to in Santa Clara. Now they return after knocking off the Seahawks in the divisional round. The San Francisco 49ers, they love this matchup against the Packers, Jarrell, because they know Green Bay struggles to stop the run. And we all see how Kyle Shanahan loves to dial up the ground and pound. They did it against the Vikings. They smashed them up the middle with a heavy dose of Tevin Coleman, and they got Mostert working back there, Matt Breida. And so this is a game that obviously favors San Francisco, but Green Bay, they're coming in looking for some revenge on the big stage. So, Jarrell, give me your thoughts on this matchup. Man, Lord knows I've had nightmares of this matchup before because we've, um, you know, during my tenure in Green Bay, we had to run into the San Francisco 49ers twice. Um, you know, in the regular, in the open, the season opener, as well as in the playoffs, late in the playoffs. And so I've had my share of ups and downs when it comes to this team in this matchup. So, but I just think that, you know, this time is different, man. I know, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's the guy and he's going to be, you know, trying to throw the ball out there. But I, I personally think that uh, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, uh, those guys up front are going to answer the call uh, this week when it comes to the run. And they're going to really, put the onus on Jimmy Garoppolo competing at a high level on the outside. And so I personally think that, you know, Green Bay has everything uh, rocking and rolling for them. If they can compete with in the, they, if they can compete in the trenches, it's really, it's realistically going to come down to if they can run the ball against this uh, 49ers front, because we know that they're, they're predicated off the run and they, and they have to have a lot of success in order to have play action pass. And it's going to come down to whether or not that they can, you know, push the ball down the field. And so I'm personally going to take the Packers. I'm biased. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. And so I'm going to take them 37, 34, Max Crosby late in the late in the down, late in the game on a field goal. All right. So you're rolling with the underdog, man. And I think you did say something that is right on. The Packers are going to have to be able to run that ball against that daunting defensive front led by Buckner, Eric Armstead, and we're already seeing what Nick Bosa's been able to do because last time these two teams faced off in Santa Clara, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, you know, they did have some success amassing 117 yards, 4.2 yards per play. They are going to have to convert on third or fourth down. That was an issue for them in the first matchup. They went 2 of 18 in those situations. Rodgers was sacked five times and limited to 104 pass yards. So they need to be efficient when it comes to moving the chains and getting in in reasonable down and distances on third down. You talked about Zadarius and Preston Smith. And that's going to be a fun matchup as they each go up against Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. But, man, I cannot pick against the Niners. They're going to be at home. That defense continues to dominate. Richard Sherman returning to form. He picked off Kirk Cousins last week. Look for him to have another big game. And I think in the end, man, the difference, it's just going to be San Francisco's ability to have success on the ground 
dominate time of possession and keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand late. I do expect it to be tightly contested. So give me the Niners to win 29-24 over the Green Bay Packers. And what should set up, in my opinion, a Super Bowl matchup between the Niners taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I would agree with you, man. And so we have it set, man. We'll have to see how everything turns out. All right, bro. Well, that does it. We preview Championship Sunday. Looking forward to watching those games coming up. Jarrell, again, I appreciate your time. Looking forward to getting back on the podcast next Wednesday to recap these games. Thank you, man. I appreciate you again for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And as uh, as I said before, let's let's talk about these games next week, man. All right, bro. Blessings. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.